I was sure about teaching at that point. I was sure that I loved education. I loved being involved in, in the classroom and, and helping students learn. There was no doubt about that. The feeling that I had at that point was I didn't know if there was a place for me as a teacher, a place that where I could feel like I could actually do what I felt I needed to do. The discussion for me is essential to understanding exactly what is it that's frustrating. Is it my ego that's getting in the way of something that's you know going on uh, in the classroom or at the school? Or is it something, some underlying assumption that everyone's coming to school with that frustrates the, the learning environment? Welcome to the Unexamined Education. My name is Jonathan Ali. And as always, I'm joined by my friend, Sean Dalrymple. In our conversations, we draw upon our experience as educators to gain insight into the essence of teaching and learning. We hope that our discussions inspire and benefit you, whether you are a teacher, administrator, student, parent, or anyone else that understands the importance of education in the life of the human being. Good morning, Sean. Good morning, John. This is the first episode of our podcast, and we want to spend some time today talking about why the unexamined education is an appropriate title for these conversations. But before that, I think it would be appropriate if we spend a little bit of time introducing ourselves to our listeners. So, Sean, could you talk a little bit about your experience as a teacher? Yes. I understand my experience coming into teaching starting back when I was a teenager and working at a at a summer camp and it was that experience that I think was always a really good experience for me I really enjoyed building relationships with kids and over time I think it just sort of set in my mind that I wanted to do that for all time <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah which I was right and wrong about so I you know I went off to college so I got my uh, English degree and uh, teacher certification eventually later. Mm -hmm. And after a bit of a false start after college, I went into teaching and I went into a public school as a substitute teacher where I took over for a teacher who had to leave uh, for medical reasons. And then I was able to stay on with that school for the for the next six years. That time in public school, I really enjoyed the job or a lot of aspects of the job. Mm -hmm. There were also factors that made it difficult to to continue working there. Mm -hmm. And I ultimately decided that I had to leave. And when I left, I thought I was leaving education for good. I was just like, well, I just can't do this, this job like I thought I could. Right. I ended up doing some carpentry work and really getting into fine woodworking and cabinetry making. (laughs) I would get into these into these jobs where people would want to do these custom nice bits of cabinetry. And it was a lot of fun to do that, but I never could uh, quite make that work. But it was uh, something that I had always been interested in doing anyway. So so I was able to get that out of my system. I did that for three <laughs> years. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But during the third year, really started to appreciate what the uh, skilled tradesmen had that I didn't have, which was uh, efficiency. <laughs> and <laughs> and so I ended up going back to uh, the school where I had taught uh, just to help out the English department in a few ways. As a volunteer? As a volunteer, yeah. right. Uh and I I really enjoyed that with without the <laughs> I really enjoyed volunteering without the pressures of being a teacher. Right. And I think that made me realize that I wanted to 
get back into education, but also find a school where some of those factors that I felt like weren't, I wasn't able to, to deal with where they weren't, weren't there. And, and these are like external pressures that, that come from uh, the you know, public school being a part of a school district and a part of a state. Right. And so I went to a private school that is Montessori up through sixth grade. After sixth grade, we transition into a more traditional looking school with classrooms and students moving from classroom to classroom. But we still try to hang on to those Montessori principles. I was brought in to uh, take on the high school English and uh, philosophy teacher role. Right. And I remember when you first started working there, you described it as teacher, a teacher's paradise. Yeah, it was. It was crazy. I, I couldn't believe the difference. You know, my cl- my biggest class was like 10 students. Yeah. And my, my smallest <laughs> class was three students, which, you know, that stretches things a bit. But you, I'd prefer three students to 35. Right. Yeah. <laughs> any, any, any day. And, and there was ample teacher planning time. And so that when I was talking, I remember that conversation. It was, it wasn't that everything was easy, but you had time during the day to process the difficulties of the job. Right. And, and it wasn't, you weren't just, you know, back to back with the same class over and over again, like what ends up happening to a lot of teachers in a, in a big school. Yeah. So eventually I moved into administrative position, IB coordinator, and then now I'm serving as the upper school dean. So I oversee the 7th through 12th grade curriculum, and I still try to make sure that I teach a class or two here and there. And next year, actually, I'm (laughs) hopefully teaching a few more classes, but (laughs) always want to stay in the classroom. Yeah. So that's that's my story as a teacher. Yeah. As you know, our stories overlap quite a bit. I'll, I also, just, just like you, I can tell that you, when you look at your, or you, you think about your story as a teacher, it stretches over a pretty large portion of your life, even before you, you started actually teaching. And, and for me, it's the same way, because this played such a big role in my life. But I'll just trace back to high school and say that I was a pretty bad student. Uh, I wasn't really interested in participating in the, the educational game. And so after graduation, I went into the military for six years. I was in the Air Force. And I would describe that experience as beneficial, but intellectually, I was intellectually starved during that time. And so after I got out of the military, I went to college. I really enjoyed being in college. It was, a, I would say that's when I discovered a love of learning and and an intellectual interest in the, in the subjects that I was studying. And I was an English major like you. I majored in also philosophy for a little while. But then also during college, I got married and we were expecting our first child. So I had the practical, I had the practical need to to get a job. And so that's when I first really seriously considered becoming a teacher because that's something that English majors tend to do. So I got my teaching certification. I applied for a job and, and the job that I got was at the same high school where you were teaching. And that's where we met. And you came mid-year as well. Yeah, exactly. That first year. Yeah. yeah. The teacher that I was replacing left suddenly and didn't come back, resigned, apparently out of dissatisfaction with the job. My experience at that high school, I was there for about eight years because I came in, in mid-year in the first year. And as you know, and this is something that I think you know, we'll get into because for me it was very formative and, and gave me a lot of insights into, into 
how I see teaching and how I understand teaching and education. But it was very difficult. I had a lot of behavior problems with the students. I would say that for the first year at least, my overall feeling was that the students hated me. I kind of hated them as well <laughs> because of that. <laughs> but then through a lot of discussions with you, which were very beneficial, I sort of turned that around. And by the end of that time that I was at that school, I really enjoyed the relationships that I had with the students. And it was really, it was very fulfilling and a very positive aspect of, of the job. But I got pushed out or I guess I felt like my time was done there because of the system and the, the way teaching was changing the lack of freedom that they would give to teachers, which r restrained my ability to, uh, I felt it, it, it limited me to such an extent that I couldn't do what I needed to do uh, for the students. So, Which I, was something that we could see coming for, for years. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and certainly, and we'll talk more about that later, but that certainly factored into my decision. Right, right. And the signals just kept getting stronger and stronger. Right. To, yeah. So the point, I think I described it as the writing was on the wall <laughs> by, the time, <laughs> yeah. by the time I left. And so I took a six-year hiatus kind of crazy thing to do and traveled around the U.S. and, and ended up living overseas for, for a couple of years. With Stud a family, with a well, wife and three kids, right? Uh, yes, yeah. And, <laughs> and when I look back on it now, I you know, still am not sure it was the right thing to do. <laughs> but anyway, we did it. <laughs> Uh, but so I studied Islam um, because I, I converted to Islam about the same time that I was when I was in college, when I got married, when I started teaching. All of this happened for me around the same time. And so since that time that I became a Muslim, I had been interested in studying it formally in the Islamic seminary. And so that's what I did for that time. But that reached a point where it wasn't practical for my family anymore. And during that entire time, I was thinking about education, reflecting on it. And I was still obviously involved in classes and had some roles in, in some uh, situations as a teacher. And so it was very natural for me to come back and get back into education. And I happened to find a position at a small private school that's an Islamic school. Similar to your school, it, it, it's a Montessori school, especially in the early levels. So my job there is an, as an administrator. I'm not in the classroom. I haven't been for the, uh, for the last two years of this job, but I'm looking forward to getting back in the classroom and teaching as our school expands into a middle school and high school program. There's a key point that I think is probably applies to a lot of people who get into teaching, which is you might have a sense that you want to be a teacher, but you ran into this practical consideration of getting into teaching because you needed a job. Uh, and I should clarify that my getting into teaching was it felt like more of a free choice mm -hmm. because, you know, I, I was married, uh, but my wife had a, a great job. She was super supportive of like how I wanted to figure out things, which, yeah. and we didn't have any kids at the time either. And so I do think that that's one of those things where if you find yourself going into teaching as a compulsion or where you, where you don't feel like you have freedom, then I would imagine everything that can happen in the classroom can really make you feel more and more like enslaved yeah, by the system. Right, definitely. Especially after, like in my experience, I didn't know what to expect when I got into teaching. I didn't know how long I would be able to do it. I didn't know if I would enjoy it really or not. So it was it was an experiment, right? And, but to my surprise, after two, three years, I really felt comfortable right and and i i had no problem envisioning myself doing this until retirement right like as a career 
And I, I felt right. very satisfied with that idea. I didn't have any problem with it. Yeah, I also I also felt that way in my first years too. I was like, I'm going to be here for 50 years. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it's even more disappointing when when you realize that you know, either because the conditions are changing in such a way or, or those factors, those things about the job that, that you had optimism about being able to overcome those, when that optimism fades, and for me it was because I realized that this system that I'm in d- can't accommodate those changes that, that I would like to, to, to see. Uh, so it's very disappointing, you know, I would say, because it, when I left teaching, it wasn't the same, or when I resigned from that school and, and left teaching at that school, it was much different from that initial doubt that I had about teaching before I started. I was sure about teaching at that point. I was sure that I loved education. I loved being involved in, in the classroom and, and helping students learn. There was no doubt about that. The feeling that I had at that point was I didn't know if there was a place for me as a teacher, a place that where I could feel like I could actually do what I felt I needed to do. Right. So let me ask, John, do you, did you feel like you had a teacher model going into it, like anyone that you'd had as a student in the past that you would you know summon that person's <laughs> image <laughs> you mean a teacher that i had when i was when i was in right school? right yeah yeah no not really uh yeah yeah there was no one really for me i did you have anyone like that well i did and i wanted to emulate some of the ways that he taught this was a high school teacher that i had for 2 years an english teacher mm-hmm. that i had for 2 years and I would say you could not see a similarity between us now, <clears throat> but I certainly would think about how he approached class and how he was always able to put the relationship between him, between the student and the teacher as the as the primary uh, concern. Mm-hmm. Right. And that, and my memory of that would be things like. Yeah, I got caught cheating. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I wasn't the greatest high school student either, but I got caught cheating on a you know a, a, on a little vocabulary quiz. Yeah, uh, and I remember the the way he handled it was he came up and he he said, "Look, this is this is what I'm seeing here. I don't know how to interpret this any other way. Uh, do you want to talk about this?" and it, it was like it put me in a position that I deserved to be in, but it wasn't. He wasn't mean or anything about it. Right. Uh, he just he just put that problem that he's having of like here's what I have in front of me, and I can, I know how I can interpret this where it makes sense to me, which is you cheated, but why don't you you know talk me through it? And of course, like that put me in a spot where I just wanted to tell him the truth. Right. Yeah. And another thing he would do. <laughs> this is something that I think is crazy, but I think it will feed into the podcast well, is at the end of each uh, six-week period, that's when our grades would go out, he'd call each person up one by one, and he would say, what do you think you should get for this six-week period? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and and again, he would have numbers, right? And he would, and he could say, we can just go with this, but if you think something else, and I remember one time, I think I only was bold enough to do it one time where maybe the, the leading number was a seven. <laughs> and I was like, I couldn't come home with like a C or something. So I remember saying, you know, maybe it, you know, I learned a lot from this thing and, you know, maybe an 85 or something. And he just erased the, <laughs> he just erased the, the, the average and put what I said. Really, I couldn't yeah. believe it. Yeah. yeah. But I also, I distinctly remember like, 
doing that one time and not ever doing it again. Yeah. And I also did it my the first year that I had them. And I, by the second year I'd had them, I just, you know, I'm more appreciated of what he was doing as a teacher. Yeah. Um, I wasn't trying to take advantage for myself. Right. So that, I mean, that's something else I think to, for any teachers to consider is what is there that, that you can look up to and, and sometimes I think it feels impossible within a system to implement some of the things that we grew up with. But really, what we're trying to dis- to discuss is where where do we need to push back on these things? Where do we have an obligation and like a duty to push back right. on things? Yeah. So you know, Sean, another feature of our of my experience as a teacher, a prominent feature, is the um, the conversations, the continuous conversations and dialogue that I've had with you during those experiences. And like I alluded to before, it started with the misery that I was going through as a first-year teacher and the problem that I had connecting with the students in a, in a positive way. And really, it started there. And I've always been the kind of person w- where when I get into a situation, I kind of, I think, you know, and I don't mean to... this. Maybe it sounds like some kind of bragging or something, but it's really not. I kind of intuitively absorb the the dynamics of the situation, like the and I would say the underlying assumptions of it. Yeah, and and it it's difficult for me to to sort through those. And I think one of the benefits for me always with talking to you about what's going on in the classroom or what's going on in our schools is that when we when we discuss them, we can identify, analyze and diagnose and pick out these these underlying things that are going on, these assumptions and dynamics. And it just really helps because like a situation in the classroom has it's so complex, right? It's there's so many things going on and it's really in schools in general a lot of the activities that educators engage in are problem-solving activities. And we're trying to make things better. We're trying to correct things. And these conversations that we've had, I know for me personally, have helped uh, immensely with that. Well, and I think it's hard for anyone to absorb everything that's going on in the system of education. So, and probably part of what's helped us look at all this is that we both left it. Uh, we both left education for you know, a number of years Right. And and we've had that chance to see it from the inside and from the outside and, and make decisions about what we can do for ourselves individually. So I agree that the discussion for me is essential to understanding exactly what is it that's frustrating. Is it my ego that's getting in the way of something right. that's you know going on uh, in the classroom or at the school? Or is it something, some underlying assumption that everyone's coming to school with that uh, frustrates the the learning environment. Right, exactly. And another reason why I've always appreciated our our discussions about this is because I think we're we're both coming from a place where we both believe very strongly in the potential of education, in the importance of learning, and the benefit from that should go to the student. The students should benefit from whatever system is set up, whatever classroom they're in, and. But we have always felt, I, I know I felt this, and I, I think you, you see the same thing, that a lot of times the way classrooms are run, the way schools are run, the way education happens, is it actually, uh, a lot of the benefit that the students could take from it are... Well, it's about the, the, about the adults, right? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it's about the adults. It's about the adults a lot of times, and the, the students suffer because yeah. of that. Yeah. Not suffer in the sense that, you know, oh, we feel so sorry for them and, and everything. Although that is the case <laughs> a lot of times. I think there <laughs> yeah, is a lot. We do a, feel so sorry for them, but 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I there is oppression <laughs> of students and children going on in schools, but but if we put that aside, that you know emotional aspect of it aside, or that sympathy for the students aside, just objectively, there's the fact that education could be something that you know has this almost unlimited potential of benefiting those students who are who are there, and we fall far short of that potential, I feel, most of the time. And it's our responsibility to, to look at why, why is it that we're falling short of that potential and what can we do to, to change that. So this brings us nicely to the choice of title for our podcast, which is The Unexamined Education. Just as Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living, we feel that the unexamined education is of little or no value. So our goal in this podcast is to have conversations and discussions where we examine and analyze the dynamics and assumptions at work in education because of the benefit that we'll have for fulfilling the potential, the real potential of education. Agreed. And I think the hope that we have is is that there's actually a lot of people out there who maybe when we unpack some of these things will uh, see ways to ways to change things from the inside. I've always felt that schools, when we taught at that big public school, I think when I was leaving, the number of teachers working there was something like 130. Mm -hmm. And by that time, I knew most of them, and they were all kind-hearted, good people. Right. I mean, I I suppose I could think of a few where I wasn't quite sure if they were there for the right reasons. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, but, but I didn't meet anybody that I would say was evil. Uh, yeah. Or you know, trying trying to destroy students' souls or anything. Yeah, right. So, so to me, it's always been something that should be reformable from the inside because you hopefully have the right people for the most part. It's just a matter of breaking these things down and understanding where the system has gotten and how how it's not serving the students in specific ways. Right. Yeah. My that's my optimistic view. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. And my hope for this podcast is that we can create this space for these types of conversations that maybe others don't have the time to have or they don't have a discussion partner to engage in these in these conversations with. They may be they're maybe teaching at a school and they feel isolated in the in their views. And you know, it just might be that that many of us experience the same thing, but they need to be articulated and we need to feel that others are also experiencing and observing the same facts in order to have the the confidence to to try to discussing them more openly and maybe doing something constructive with those with those understandings. Yeah, and and we plan to do this this goes to our credibility. We plan to do this while maintaining our jobs as educators. <laughs> right. <laughs> this isn't some sort of exit strategy for us, which <laughs> I think we've discussed many, many a educator who seems to come into the, the, the school district or give a speech or something who seems to have all the answers and and they're just primarily speaking to her kind of uh, educators right, right. and have, have distanced themselves quite a long ways from the classroom or from the real problems. Yes. So, yes. So we'll try to maintain our credibility by by staying in the job and, and, and doing all this. Right. Yeah, definitely. So we thank listeners for joining us and we look forward to having more conversations that we can share. So thank you, Sean, for talking with me this morning. Happy to do so.